0: Thank you for joining us today. My name is Maccabee Griffin. And I'm Marcella. And this is Beyond the Pen, where we take the well-known adage, read between the lines to a whole new level and beyond. Each week, we sit down with a new author to not only discuss one of their books, but also learn the story behind the story. Hello, Marcella.
1: You always have to sound so creepy.
0: (laughs) Because I am a creep,
1: Plus, it's Halloween season. Yeah, but I'm like to all year round.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's very yeah. true. That's <laughs> hey, true. Mac. Hi. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're already going to start. I love it when we do this. It's so I don't think we have a finish. It's kind of like it just that carries is- over into each episode. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, life, so, life, yeah. A, a, definitely life. That's true. So we both got our coffee because we, we coffee. both really need to wake up right now. And, um, so this week is going to be basically just a continuation of the, the unknown, the, the things that go bump in the night, but with a little bit of flair, you know, um, How's your week been so far?
1: How's my week? Um, yeah. <clears throat> I have a headache.
0: Yeah. Well, a head like and that should
1: ache. It's the change of weather. It's, what did you say to me?
0: <laughs> I said a head like that should ache.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. You're such a jerk. I uh, know. Uh, yeah. I'm no, I'm, um, I, I'm doing some writing and I'm trying to navigate the crystal world again for Luna. So yeah. it's been really deep and. And uh, trying to navigate being single, Mac. You know, this is weird. Like, yeah, you know. I haven't
0: been single for over almost 19 years, actually over 19 years. So I can be
1: my wingman. I've got oh, two. I need, a, I need a third just in case. <laughs> How many? Never mind. No, I'm just. Yeah, it depends what state I'm in, where I'm going, who I'm hanging with, you know?
0: You've got at least one wingman man in every state of the United States,
2: I think. No, and, you
1: know, and you, you know, I'm representing, too, see? I, I'm going to have a oh, proud my friends. Yeah, that way I could say, hey, yeah, I'm oh, a proud parent. That's right. My uh, LGBTQ cup. There you go. Yeah, see, you can see the little heart in there. It's fucking adorable. Oh, I see it. That is yeah. cool. So um, awesome. for those of you who don't know, maybe tuning in for the first time, I have a daughter who's transgender, and I truly support the community. And mm-hmm. um but so a lot of my friends are trans and and uh, queer because they prefer queer now, which is cool. Oh really? Right? A lot of them do. They prefer that. So um, Good. I just want to be respectful. So yeah, so I got my my and but I am looking forward to to our guest because uh, she yes. seems pretty damn awesome.
0: Yes. So yeah,
1: you've been rocking it, Mac. You know th- that's usually my job. I need to take that position back now. Get all oh. the that- people. Yeah.
0: There's a reason why I took the, took it on was because you were always getting to them about audiobooks before I could even try, so I'm trying to get there too. No, I'm just uh, yeah, not, not really. No, yeah. not really. Um, <laughs> now, I think it. You know, it's one of those things with Podmatch is one of the places that I've been using to find my guests, mm-hmm. and it's been really good. Um, yes, there are hits and misses. But majority of the people that uh, I've been introduced are wonderful people. They've got great books. And I think for anybody who is a podcaster, they need to actually look at some of these places to find their guests. Podmatch.com is one of them. Uh, Podbooker is another one that people can use. I don't use that one as much because I don't really get anybody. Um but this guest today has been really interesting too. We, we, we always try to have like a, a little bit of a conversation prior to me hitting the record button. And <laughs> some of these have ran into like the 30 minute hour conversations prior to even hitting the button, let alone recording the show. But yes, today's guest, her name is, her, her name is, um, Mary Kendall and she has written a book called the spinster fortune a uh, spinster's fortune excuse me it is a really good book it takes place back in the night in back 1929 prior to the uh black friday was a black friday black tuesday black tuesday excuse me so this one there's a lot of underlying messages that she's like really intertwined with stuff and i really i'm 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 gonna stop talking and just bring her up because I just. Bring her up, yeah. I know, I know. I just wanna. There she is.
2: Hi, guys. Hello. Hi.
0: The spinster herself. (laughs) So, for everybody else, please introduce yourself. And most importantly, tell us something we can't find on the internet about you.
3: Okay. First of all, thank you so much for having me on your wonderful show. I listen to it all the time and love it. I am Mary Kendall. I am a fiction writer. But what I like to say is I'm a reader first and then a writer. I, I fell in love with reading at a very young age, and I really feel like becoming a writer was a natural extension of that. I also have a love of history, and what I write is really rooted and informed by history. And I've experimented with a lot of different writing, historical mystery, historical fiction, contemporary fiction with historical underpinnings. So I'm a bit of a genre hopper, which is can be a big no-no in some people's minds. But I actually think it's okay because I think it boils down to voice. And if you have a voice, why not write what you feel like writing? That's where I'm coming from. Now, what would people not necessarily be able to find out about me? They might be able to find this out if they were really digging deep, but um, I am trained as a yoga teacher. And I came to that as sort of one of my second acts. At the ripe age of 51, I decided to go and do that. I practiced yoga for years and years and years. And I decided I wanted to go and and learn how to be a teacher, and it was a fantastic experience that unfortunately got curtailed by the pandemic. I hope to get back to it, but uh, so I discovered at that stage in life that I actually had um, some teaching chops that I never knew I had. So that is that's my fun fact.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. See, I don't think anybody really would find that out about you. I don't think so anybody. that's it. A- That's a good one. That's a real good one. So speaking of some of the things that most people won't know about you, unless obviously they, they read the book, you lived in a lot of old haunted houses growing up. I did. And one of the, it states here, Mary Kendall lived in an old and haunted houses growing up, which sparked a lifelong interest in history and storytelling. Now, as we start with the book and everything, it starts out, like I said, uh, in August of 1929. And obviously, when we're looking at this era, there's a lot of interesting architecture when it comes to these homes. You've got a lot of mixture of the Victorian, the industrial, and their version of modern uh, architecture. Mm So. When you were going through this, because I've noticed when you're going from scene to scene in in some of these homes, they're very different. But I also wanted to ask you, how much of what you lived in, in terms of the homes and the the moods and feelings from them, were put into the book?
3: Okay, so full disclosure, Couple lifetimes ago, I um, studied and trained to be an architectural historian. So I think what you're picking up on is that because architecture, old architecture specifically, is kind of one of my big loves. And um, so the study of that, though, Mm -hmm. probably came from living and being around old things as a child and that goes further back because that was from my father my father was that was his hobby old finding old houses buying old houses renovating and restoring old houses that's where it all started um but i definitely as part of my job as an architectural historian i had to do technical writing associated with that mm-hmm. so it's kind of hard sometimes to separate out that from when i'm describing a scene with a house or architecture in it so i think that's what we're getting down to here
0: oh yeah absolutely because uh, i i know with architectural design technical design is oh is also considered architectural design mm-hmm. that's their terms that are uh, loosely used, in, interchangeable. In both yeah. interchangeable. Yes, because um, when I was going through uh, junior high, high school back in the Stone Age, um, we did a lot of that, and it was always fun just to look and see. When you're looking at houses, when you're looking, even at you know, one of the things I I, I still remember to this day is that one of the designs that we had to do, we had to take a uh, a bolt and actually break it down into the design
2: hmm.
0: right down to the nitty-gritty of the threads and the angles and everything of that hmm. nature that was one of the first things we did yeah. and to me it was always interesting looking at that it was like that is awesome because then when you look at the architectural designs in construction and that's one of the things that I love is construction um is looking at the old homes, looking at how stable they are, even with previous techniques used in those homes, many of them are still sturdy as today. Look at a lot of the it, bricking.
3: In fact, I would argue that the older ones are by and large, much better constructed and put oh, together yeah. than what oh, yeah. we get out in the, you know, in the current developments. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Because back then, Time wasn't really as much of of a necessity in terms of when it came to the construction of the buildings, Mm -hmm. but it was also because they couldn't take a lot of shortcuts in regards to the materials. Because one, you you have wood brick out of out of line comparative to. yeah, with not only just the look, but also the structure of the of the no. entire wall. If you don't use the right mortaring amounts uh, in between them, if you don't use the right wood, the materials in general, it will fall. And there have been many, many homes during that time that stood still because of that. A lot of the uh, business offices were more since, more or less the ones that really were more susceptible to the chance of somebody cutting corners Mm -hmm. comparative to you know your residential homes residential homes were straight up one of the best homes built and that's why today you're still going to see something from the Victorian times in the house. Definitely when you're looking at the mood when you're looking at a lot of the aspects of how these buildings are connected to the story itself Mm
2: -hmm.
0: one of the things when we go into the prologue is we're introduced uh to a character by the name of blanche and she is in what's considered or she's told she's in a poorhouse. now i wanted to get your insight on this from a historical point of view because i want people to understand how you're setting this up how you're setting up the mood how you're setting up the relationships between all of the characters. Can you explain to people the difference between a poorhouse slash workhouse and an, 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 an
3: asylum? Okay, so in this case, it's a combo. The poorhouse was meshed together with a, and this is an unfortunate term. House of the insane. Mm-hmm. So it was a place where they piled in people. My understanding is that they piled in both of those groups. In, in our, in the protagonist's case, she was considered both. And that's why she was there. So she was considered to be without a penny left in the world, number one. And number two, she was considered to have lost her marbles. And that's how she ended up where she was in the prologue now as the story unfolds we find out that those two those two facts are not necessarily the truth
0: and i'm glad you said that because again when we're when you're looking at history and this is why i love when authors look right at our history not only in the u.s but worldwide Mm -hmm. Work workhouses slash poorhouses were something that's been around for generations in some shape in some way, shape, and form in the 18th to 19th century. And it, it, specifically in uh Welsh uh in Wales and in England, they that- had yeah, they had an entire, I would say just an alleyway of homes, this road, it was just stone houses that were cold. They didn't have windows, they didn't have doors, but they had at least some type of shelter up for the workers. It wasn't until, I think it was 1759, if I remember correctly, uh, when here in the U.S., uh, specifically Maryland, New York, uh, a lot of the counties were uh, introduced to these poor masters who were in charge of these poor houses to get people off the streets uh, into these homes, as well as ways to take care of some of the elderly that were thrown out into the streets. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is the reason why I'm bringing all this history involved into this is because of the fact this has a major impact on the families within the story. and, when we're looking at the relationships, because at one point you, you do have a, a little bit of a flashback in chapter one with one of the main protagonists, which is Margaret. If I remember it. Right. Um, and she is having a back, a, a flashback because she smells uh cigar smoke when she's going to uh, check on horses uh, that she raises uh, just like her father did in breeding horses. My question to you in regards to this is, why was there such a strain between Margaret's father and the two sisters? What was it that drove him away from them at the age of 18, got him infatuated with horses? Mm
3: -hmm. In my mind, how it plays out is, is in a way that we see quite often in families we see a family of say several or more siblings and one of them leaves and then there's a an estrangement there not necessarily because of bad feelings but just because of life and somebody in a family can move on and do their thing time goes on and there's no and then contact becomes limited and I see it In current day, I see that go on in families, despite the fact that we have it so much easier to stay connected, you know, to pick up the phone or the, the iPad or whatever. I think that still goes on. I think that's just the nature of humanity in some ways. There's some people in our lives that we stay more connected to than others. And sometimes there's not really an explanation for that. You know, sometimes it's not a conscious thing. I think sometimes it just happens. So in the case of Blanche and her brother, who was Margaret's father, mm-hmm. I think it was not necessarily a, a a contentious thing. It just happened. And what that led to is, is Margaret not having a relationship with her aunts, even though they lived in the same area. hmm. The, the D.C. Maryland area, even though they lived in fairly close proximity, they didn't have a relationship, um, and I, I think that happens in families.
0: Now, here's my here's my other question, real quick: is like because of the fact that they were in a a uh, city state, uh, in in regards to the scene, they were in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, where did the infatuation come from for horses? Because the horses are a major part of their lives.
3: Yeah. So um, there was a family member who remained wealthy and had a huge estate out in Maryland horse country. Mm. And so Margaret's father, he knew of that family member. And then he, he of his own Volition and his own interest for whatever. It sparked an interest in him. And he made inroads with those distant family members who owned the huge estate out in Maryland. And then in time, he developed a relationship with them that led him to inherit the original Magruder land out in Maryland horse country. And he established his horse business that way.
0: Gotcha. Because, yeah, there's not a lot of information based on that. But I wanted to get a real in, yeah exactly I wanted to get a real intimate yeah. intact because that lifestyle has a major impact on Margaret Definitely. especially from a younger age because mm-hmm. she is not like many other young ladies at that time
2: yeah
0: basically they were being bred to find a a, a wealthy husband so that they could continue that lifestyle exactly. continue as well as the, the yeah. Right, exactly. Because yeah. you can tell the difference between the relationships uh that they represent because again Margaret is more towards the business st- uh, style of life following her father more than her mother at the time. Right. But if you look at the aunts, Emily and uh Blanche, mm-hmm. they're straight up Victorian bred to just mm-hmm. But there was also something that even Margaret was kind of confused about, her and her uh, husband, Keith, Keith. excuse me, there was something that happened when they went to visit them because they were in the area and they started to notice that the house was kind of getting to that point of it needed work. And one of the things that you really presented to us is that they're trying to hold on to a certain time more often than not. They're they're allowing certain things to, in their head, they're still fine. Like the flowers in the back, the lilies. yeah But when we're introduced to those lilies in the back, they're brown, they're dying. Yep. So you can definitely start to see the mental state between the sisters yeah. really starting to degrade a yeah. little bit over time. Yeah.
3: They're definitely living in their past and they never left their father's home. They stayed in the home they grew up with and time marched on as it does. And they were sort of left behind. Yeah.
0: And you also notice that when you're looking at the way Margaret feels, once Emily does die and there, there's a little bit of a misidentification between them because Blanche and Emily look so much alike. The only difference is, is that, uh, Emily, I think Emily was a little bit taller than Blanche. Um,
3: Actually, the opposite. Opposite, yeah.
0: Blanche was taller. That's right. Um, But she knew that, in her mind, Blanche was the one that died. Mm -hmm. Emily was still alive. She was not, you know, all there. Um, Because, again, looking at the house, you can pretty much tell you've got almost like a relationship between. The women themselves and the home, the older they get, the more degrade they go. Mentally, the women are degrading. The house obviously is falling apart over time as well. And no one is coming in to help them, to save them, because they come from a different world and they want to live that way. And they're they're making these excuses up here and there. Of, also, Oh, we're, we're going to have somebody coming in
3: to help us out, right? And as they as they age, their world shrinks even more and more, and becomes more narrow, and becomes and there's even less involvement from
0: absolutely, outside absolutely, yeah. and.
3: But again, I, th- I think this is something. I think I wrote that because this is life.
0: Absolutely, we and see I,
3: this in real life, don't we?
0: Absolutely, and I'm glad that you you did that because. It shows that even in history, we're still going to repeat it mm-hmm. every time. Even if we don't think we're doing it, we're literally doing the same things as we our,
2: really are. We as really our are.
0: ancestors did. Yeah. Um, I want to get into something. My My final question real quick before Marcella kicks in with hers a little bit more is that, and this is one of the major reasons why, there's so much we're talking about the house in such a way Mm -hmm. is because people are finding out that these, these older women have money. They have a fortune. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's happening is that people are coming in, they're breaking in after they've left and all because people put it in the, in the newspapers that they have there's a fortune in this house and people are coming in they're getting caught they've achieved like four thousand dollars or something like that Mm -hmm. uh, within like the month or two that they've been there Mm -hmm. um and of course lawyers come in and they're trying to protect it as much as possible but one of the things i really wanted to understand from this and again you may really explain it later on too but i want to at least get a, a glimpse into Blanche and emily's thought process on this mm-hmm. because i think it has a major impact when you're talking to uh when you're thinking about the financial uh situations that are occurring for margaret and keith as well and their debts and everything they're building up because of Bad horses bad not coming kid. in, yeah. uh, bad business calls, a little bit of something else probably on the other side with Keith. And the, uh-huh. there's a reason why I hate this guy already. Um, <laughs> no offense, but I don't like him. Um And this is a good thing. Yeah. Um, but one of the missions that I've, I've seen the women, these two aunties do, is that they're wanting to hide the money as much as possible. mm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is their thought? What is their reason for doing this?
3: I think that it came from generations back, and at first, I don't know if you've gotten to the part where they received mm-hmm. fortune in a box yep. from the farm out in the Maryland countryside. Okay, so the fortune was received in a box, and I think that this this part of the plot ties into older ideas about how people. Kept their money, Mm -hmm. saved their money, preserved their money. Distrust of maybe the banking institutions and and the powers that be that would hang on to money normally, and then that coupled with as they aged, they became even more into themselves, hanging on Mm -hmm. to the money in a way that worked for them, and then finally when when one of them died, the other one was left alone and her thinking became her thinking. Did it become a little skewed? Yes. And did she make those choices based on all of that? Probably. And that's how it ended up like it ended up. So what, what do you find
1: interesting about that time period? Because there's obviously um, a connection for you. Definitely. Yeah.
3: I am. You know what? It's funny. I don't know why I am drawn to this era, but that's definitely my favorite era of history, the 1920s era. I'm very drawn, I think, to the aesthetic of it, the style, definitely the architecture from that period that came out, um, the dress, the way people were, were, were dressing, um, the roaring 20s. You know, it's sort of that, that mystique. i um, one of my favorite books of all time is The Great Gatsby, Gatsby Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's so, funny because I've, I've always been attracted to that too. And I don't know anybody else who is. My mother always told me you should have been born in the 20s or you should have been born for the 20s. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. I've never met anyone else who's interested in that yeah. at all. And I don't know I, what it
3: is. But you know, because of that, it's
1: a, a past life connection could okay.
3: be. But because of that, I found this story really accessible to writing. It, it sort of just was a really easy process to write. And I, I, I think it ties in with that familiarity or, or what I think is familiar to me, that time period. I think that's why.
0: You know, for anybody else that didn't notice, I actually just froze up and just went away for a second there. And I don't know what the heck happened because it happened to me earlier today and it's driving me nuts. Anyways. Oh. Um, yeah, for me, I, I love everything from the twenties up to the mid fifties, early sixties, every once in a while. But for me, I always thought it was very interesting just because of all the ingenuity that was going on at that time, all the major inventions that we're still using today. Mm -hmm. And of course the prices, when you look back at, you know, how much it cost to actually be in a house at that time, you really wish you were back at that time. But then you also got to realize how much they were making too, so it it's not much really difference um,
3: also, I feel like it was a, if you okay. look at historically at the timeline, mm-hmm. I feel like it was a great uh reset opportunity. Yes, because the Spanish fluid finally ended, World mm-hmm. War one finally ended, so all of a sudden all this fresh air came in, and yeah. people were able to live again. Yeah, in a, in a freeing way that they had not been able to do before. Yeah. I think that ties into it. Now, as you know, this piece of the story is based on the real life of the real Blanche McGruder. Yes. She did hide her money as well.
0: Oh, yeah. She definitely now, I spun did. it
3: off into different ways. You know, some, but, but some of it is based on the real life facts that I dug up in newspaper articles. I mean, this was in newspapers across the country. Out in the Midwest, out in L.A., I could find newspaper articles about this. It was considered a real oddity. Yeah, absolutely. and it is an oddity. I mean, that's that's why I was immediately drawn to this story. I was like, "This story is wow! How how do how did I never hear about this?" Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, you know, I think it's time for us to just get back into that comfort state. You know, get in our little chairs a little bit, have a little cozy little area of the corner that we can just really enjoy one another's company but mostly i want to go into this corner because of the fact that's where marcella is located at with all of her books and her little little light that she likes to just sit down and read her books and she has some great questions specifically for you so marcella i'm dying well yes you are old so yes
1: you are dying slowly. i'm dying shut up I don't have a little corner. I kind of just like spread out on the bed and do some other stuff. And anyway, um, I, and I love this question, Mac, you know, I ask this of everybody, are any of your characters based on you or your family members?
3: Yes. And no. So that's a two part question. So this story, it's, it's funny now that the book's been out for over a year and a half, what I didn't realize is really the person I owe a debt of gratitude is. For, for writing this novel and getting this story out in the world is my grandfather. Why do I say that? I found this story because I was doing genealogical research on him. He passed away almost 10 years before I was born. I never knew him. So I didn't really have photographs of him, didn't know much about him. But he was a lawyer in D.C. So because of that, he was involved in some cases Mm-hmm. And I was able to once every once the internet got populated with the news old newspapers, I was able to dig around and find some information about them. So one day I'm digging around and up pops his photograph. And I was like, oh yay, this is so neat. Mm-hmm. The story associated with that photograph was the true life story of Blanche Magruder. And as I've been talking to people about it and and as as the year and a half has gone on since it's come out, I now realize I owe him a debt of gratitude for leading me to this story because otherwise I would have never known the story. I never would have written the novel. So he is actually has a cameo in the novel because he was the lawyer in real life that helped recover what they call recovery, recovery of the fortune. He was involved in the case till the end. So he has a cameo. Um, the other, the two main pro, pro, pro protagonists are Blanche, the real life spinster, and Margaret, her niece, who is a made-up character. So, in terms of real life characters, there's some real life characters in the novel. But your question was, do I see me or any other family members? And I do not, other than that cameo of my grandfather.
1: I I really love that answer. we've had some different ones. I think that's the only one we've had that's no, no, they're just made up. And yeah, that that was great. Thank you. So what's next? Cause you hinted at something earlier and I wondered if that was okay
3: to talk about here Uh, a sequel. So what's next is, well, first off I have my second novel coming out next month. It's scheduled to be published on the 21st of November. And it's a, it's a departure from the mystery aspect. It's a, uh, coming-of-age historical fiction. And um, it's called Campbell's Boy. And I'm super excited about that. It's been a labor of love. I've been working on it for over 11 years. So that's next in terms of my writing um, endeavors. Uh, but... And, I'm a boy genre is, that? is that the same
1: genre as, as the first book? No.
3: It's, it's straight-up historical fiction. Um, but like I was talking about earlier, I'm a genre hopper. So I, um it, you know, again, I feel like the vein um in everything I do is historically related. So it ties into that. Uh, and then recently, I think what you're talking about is I sort of kind of maybe am thinking about a sequel to The Spencer's Fortune, which is funny because when it first came out, I was like, oh, I'm done. I'm done with these characters. That's uh, this is a standalone. I'm moving on. But, you know. The things things can work in mysterious ways. And, and recently I'm um, thinking that that grandfather of mine might be leading me to another story and the characters, we have the characters set in place and um, why not? Why not give it a go? That's See what sad. happens. Um.
1: All right. So next question. What is your writing kryptonite?
3: This time of year, my writing kryptonite is hands down. Candy corn. I know people, you know, candy corn is one of these things people love it or hate it. I love it. And it's this time of year it's available. And so it gets me that sugar high that's followed right away by the nose dive. So that, that's kryptonite right there. Oh, wow. uh, now, in general, aside from this season, I have to say my kryptonite is raising teenagers. Which I've been doing for a while. And there's a lot of drama and a lot of angst that comes with that. It's funny, you know, when they hand you your, your cute little baby, they they don't tell you that, um, oh guess what? This is gonna be a teenager someday. And tag your it. They don't tell you that, do they? But it happens. And, you know, there are days where I'm just there's I'm just dragged right out of the, the writing zone, dragged right out of the flow. I, I just can't. So yeah, there's that. But you know what? It's it's fine. It's all grist for the mill, and and it all works out. I res
1: I, I resonate with that so deeply. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Ditto,
0: because okay. we all have teenagers yeah. as children, no, right? I don't have
1: any more, and she's not there yet. Just it, give me time. Yeah. You got all three years.
0: You got three years, lady.
2: Good hang luck. Hang on, hang Dude, on.
1: Yeah, it's already starting. Middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. Last question. Is there a famous quote or, and I always like to throw this in there, a famous person that you subscribe to someone that you, you really admire or a quote that you really admire that helps you to keep going, doing what you're doing.
3: Yes, there is a quote and it's a quote that I used often when I was teaching yoga classes because I would be asking people of all ages to twist themselves into weird and unusual shapes and poses so what I would like to say to them is challenges are really opportunities in disguise. And I really stand behind this quote um, because it really, it, it applies to life in general. And it definitely applies to this crazy business we're in called writing. Because, um, well, I'll throw this out as an example of how to use that quote. Rejection. Writers at any stage in the game get rejections over and over again. So something something I like to do for myself, when I get a rejection in, like I did two days ago, I go ahead and I throw something fresh out to maybe fresh new eyes, and that's me taking that challenge and making it an opportunity for myself.
0: That's my quote. Mary, thank you for being on the show. We really appreciate it. This is the time where we allow you to have your shameless uh promotion for yourself and just tell everybody where they can find you, any
3: special events coming up, any people coming up. Okay, so I like to make uh my hub of all the stuff going on with me, my website, which is Pretty easy. Mary Kendall author. There you go. Mary Kendall And I regularly update that. I have a blog there, which which includes a lot of different things and also all my news about my upcoming um, books. And like I mentioned earlier, really excited about Campbell's Boy. My second novel is being published November 21st of, of this year. And so I'm looking forward to that happening. There's gonna be some launch things happening associated with that, which again I'll put up on the on the website.
0: Awesome. Well thank you again for being on the show. We really appreciate it.
3: Thank you guys. I knew it was gonna be a fun conversation and, and you did not disappoint.
0: think marcella
1: i i love her i think she's great well yeah i
0: yeah i know that you love a lot of people you're a loving person
1: you Really, yeah. are. how dare you you want me to i a know re-
0: i'm sorry I, I, my I,
1: reputation I, maccabee
0: you have a reputation
1: <laughs> anyways what are your thoughts on,
0: on her on her book of what you've gotten out of this conversation
1: Um. So I was really interested in the hiding money because mm-hmm. I've seen that so many times in families that I know,
2: yeah. where they
1: yeah. suddenly found a shoebox or a crate or a um, a metal box filled with it. And I'm I'm interested to read the book now just to see you know her thoughts on it, her her perspective and her creativity. So, oh yeah, yeah. I, I I think it was oh, the fact that it's set in in an era where my mother swears I should have grown up. Yeah. No, I, I
0: definitely agree with that. No, I do. I'm I'm not I, I'm not saying anything else I'm not I think on you, money money. On you
1: should have been a flapper. And for the longest time I didn't know what that was.
0: There's so many things I could say on that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> behave
0: yourself. Uh, please. This is my show. I don't have to behave. Come on now. Oh <laughs> Mac. <laughs> okay, fine. You can have it too. Um uh, no, but for everybody else who doesn't know what that what flapper means, just go look it up. It's nothing bad, I assure you, <laughs> if you don't know what it is. But it is, it's definitely one of those... uh You're just making me more famous you know. <laughs> I am. I am. I'm giving you a new reputation. New reputation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... And if you want to know her reputation, her link is below too, because it says everything at her link tree, uh, four slash Marcella with two A's and two C's and two L's. She likes to double down on a lot of letters. Uh, but for me, honestly, I liked it too. I really did. I love the era. So it makes it so much more fun for me to actually really be a part of it and trying to look at the history because there was one thing I actually didn't know. Until she actually presented it to me was that the differences between the poor houses, the workhouses slash asylums, because there was very little difference in them. Um, and I went down a rabbit hole and it was so fun just to look at the history. Um, but you know, it was one of those things that I really, really enjoyed reading and you need to go to her website author dot com, get your copy of her book The Spinster's Fortune, and we love you guys so much, and we appreciate you not only listening to us, but for those that are going to be watching this later as well, please follow us, share this episode as well as any other episode that is your favorite, and tell us what you think. Leave us a review on. Apple Podcast, because that's the major one that everything else really applies to when you're looking at trying to uh, get us in front of more people and supporting all of these authors. Come join us. We have a fan page. Many of our authors are part of the fan page. When they're in there, they see these questions, they will be happy to answer any of your questions. And then, of course, one of the things we really want to make sure that you guys are aware of is that, again, please, if you have a Roku, if you have a Google Play account, an Amazon Fire account, find Traverse TV, and then you will see a lot of us on VOD. We have 12 episodes up right now, and keep coming back to us. Keep coming, keep sharing, keep enjoying, because... We want you to continue writing, keep inspiring, and keep sharing as you go beyond the pen.